The following is a continuation of the previous episode. Welcome to the Yellow Balloons podcast, a collection of teachings to help you navigate the transformational possibilities of a God-centered perspective. We pray these insights from scripture will inspire and encourage you. In this episode, Tim continues his teaching on Revelation 2 and the church in Pergamos. Our circumstances affect what our faithfulness looks like. They are an opportunity for us to make a choice. Tim examines the role of witness, martyr, and overcomer, the impact of our prayers, and the danger of false teachers. Revelation calls us to fight against the temptations of the flesh and pursue a life of faithfulness. This episode begins with a look at the story of Balaam. Well, let's look at Balaam, a very interesting character in the Bible. Balaam was a prophet, and he was a prophet that was a real prophet. 100% accuracy, that was the standard. 100% accuracy. Did you also have to be sin-free? We know that's not the case because we know these prophets, right? Uh, We know Isaiah. When Isaiah got to see Jesus with the eyes of fire and the feet of bronze, what did he say? Woe is me. I... I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. So when he saw himself in that holy presence, he realized, I've got all kinds of warts. But he was a real prophet because what he said was true. Well, Balaam was a real prophet. What he said was true, but he had a problem. And let's look at Balaam's problem. Let's look at 2 Peter 2. Let's get a little summary of Balaam and what his problem was. Verse 15, they have forsaken the right way and gone astray following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. But he was rebuked for his iniquity. A dumb donkey speaking with a man's voice restrained the madness of the prophet. So his problem was he liked the world and he wanted some of it. So let's review Balaam's life. Let's go to Numbers 31, verse 15. We'll start at the end and work back back to the beginning. And Moses said to them, Have you kept all the women alive? Look, these women caused the children of Israel, through the counsel of Balaam, to trespass against the Lord in the incident of Peor. So one thing we know is that Balaam gave counsel that caused Israel to stumble. Balaam ultimately was killed. That was his ultimate reward. But let's just go through the story now and let's, let's watch it unfold. We already know what happens. And it, it starts in chapter 22. Then the children of Israel moved and camped in the plains of Moab on the side of the Jordan across from Jericho. So what's happening here is the children of Israel are nearing the end of their 40 years wandering in the wilderness and they're camping at Moab. And not long after this, Moses is going to go up on Mount Nebo, which is right above the plains of Moab. If you stand on Mount Nebo, you see the plains of Moab. And he's going to die and Joshua is going to take over. That's, that's right on the cusp of what's happening here. So they're in the plains of Moab. And Balak, the king of Moab, sends for Balaam. And he goes to Balaam and he says... Hey, I need you to come and help me. I need you to come and curse these people because they are threatening us. So verse 7, 
So the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with the diviner's fee in their hand, and they came to Balaam and spoke to him the words of Balak, and he said to them, Lodge here tonight, and I will bring back word to you as the Lord speaks to me. So the princes of Moab stayed with Balaam. So they took money, and they said, We will pay you money if you'll do a job for us. This is the way religion has worked for all of human history. We always want to make it transactional. And today, you can go to a service, and if you'll bring a $100 bill, you'll get your prayers answered, or that's the, pro- that's the promise. Then God came to Balaam and said, Who are these men with you? And Balaam said to God, Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, has sent to me, saying, Look, a people has come out of Egypt, and they cover the face of the earth. Come now, curse them for me. Perhaps I shall be able to overpower them and drive them out. So the people knew that Balaam's prophecies were reliable and they're willing to pay a big fee to curse these people because they're afraid of them. They had heard of what had happened and all the miracles that had followed the children of Israel out of Egypt. So they've got supernatural stuff. We need supernatural stuff on the other side. And God said to Balaam, You shall not go with them. You shall not curse the people, for they are blessed. So Balaam rose in the morning and said to the princes of Balak, Go back to your land, for the Lord has refused to give me permission to go with you. So they go back, and Balak says, Well, we just didn't offer enough. So they bring back more money. Verse 18, Then Balaam answered and said to the service of Balak, Though Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not go beyond the word of the Lord my God to do less or more. Now, therefore, please, you also stay here tonight that I may know what more the Lord will say to me. Now, this reminds me of a story that Abraham Lincoln supposedly told. He was in his office, and a guy came and said, we could give you $20,000 if you could make this happen. And Lincoln said, no, that's not what I'm going to do. A little later, he said, you know, we could give you $40,000 if you could make this happen. And he said, that's not what I'm about. A little later, he said, you know, we could give you $60,000 if you could make this happen. Lincoln stood up and he said, I'm sorry, Mr. President, I didn't mean to offend you. He said, no, no, you didn't offend me. You're just getting close. (laughs) And the, the saying goes, all of us have a price. And so they're getting close here to Balaam's price. And God came to Balaam at night and said to him, if the men come to call you, rise and go with them. But only the word which I speak to you that you shall do. Balaam really wanted to go, see. So Balaam rose in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went with the princes of Moab. He's got the gold and silver in mind. Then God's anger was aroused because he went. See, he's really t- he told him he could go, but he had already told Balaam, these are people that are blessed. I do not want you to do what these people are wanting, but Balaam's like, eh, maybe there's a loophole in here. Maybe, I can, maybe if I just go, who knows? There's all this money. So th- this, the thing goes on. And he goes and he stands and he looks in one viewpoint and he prophesies and blesses the people. And Balak's like, man, no! No, that's not what we want. So then he goes to another position and he blesses the people again. Balak's like, no, no, that's not what we want. We want you to curse them. Let's try from over here. And they do this four different times. And then finally, in 24.11, Balak's anger of 10, 24.10, Then Balak's anger was aroused against Balaam and he struck his hands together. And Balak said to Balaam, I called you to curse my enemies and look, you've bountifully blessed them these three times. Now therefore flee to your place. I said I would greatly honor you, but in fact the Lord has kept you back from honor. I could have made you rich. 
You better get back to your place because now you're in trouble. I would have made you rich. Now you get nothing. You didn't do what I wanted you to do. Well, apparently, that really stung. So Balaam went back to his hole and he said, Man, I can't curse the people, but there's all that money. I know what I'll do. So this is kind of putting the pieces together. I can't read you the text that shows you this. But apparently what he does is he goes back to Balak and says, Look, I'll tell you what you do. I know God. And if the people commit sexual immorality, he will blitz them. So here's what you do. You get the women of Moab, and they go over and seduce the Israelite men. And get them to be involved in the Moabite religious stuff, which is, you know, the Moabite religious stuff, the Baal worship and all that. Baal worship and sexual immorality are completely intertwined. It was a fertility cult. So going to church, going to a strip club were the same thing for them. So they do. They, they, go get, they go get them entrapped. And it starts to spread throughout Israel. And there's a plague. And so presumably Balaam got paid. I got paid and I kept, I didn't say anything wrong. I kept my prophetic track record in place. And I got paid to all this and Jesus too. Isn't that great? Now, we would never do anything like that in our culture, would we? So I'm going to go to the church service as a college student. I'm going to raise my hands. I'm going to soak in the worship. And then I'm going to go back to my apartment where I cohabit with somebody or go hook up. And I'm going to go and I'm going to completely feed my appetites. But not to worry because next Thursday I'll be back in worship again because I have all this and Jesus too. We go to our businesses. We go to our social circles. How do we stand? What do we say? Do we have all this and Jesus too? Now, why does he say, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel to do two things, to eat things sacrificed to idols, to commit sexual immorality? I'm going to suggest to you that these two categories of things are the categories of our fundamental problems as people. To eat things sacrificed to idols means that I have entered into a relationship with idols. And idolatry is really simple. You pay the money, you get the stuff. That's all it is. It's a transactional belief system where the ultimate power in the universe is you. The ultimate power in the universe is me. If I do this thing, then I will get what I want. I may need to give an offering. I may need to pay a bribe. And in these pagan religions, you get to go commit multiple sexual promiscuity as part of your offering. So I'm in control. That's category number one. I'm in control. I just need to figure out the thing to do to get what I want. And the other category that's our fundamental problem is I can create my own fulfillment. I have appetites. I will find a way to have those appetites met. I have a desire for something. I will. You see, and you see how they're connected. I have an appetite. I have a desire to see something met. And I will go to my cosmic vending machine, look for the right letter, M16, put in the dollar, out comes the thing. I now have my appetites met. Because ultimately I'm in control. And of course, what actually happens is, when we think we're in control, we become a slave to the thing that we're pursuing. And when we live a life where we're trying to get fulfilled through satisfying appetites, we become a slave of those appetites. 
And so God says, look, I delivered you from slavery in Egypt. Why do you want to go back into it? Egypt is a picture of sin. And when we go back to Egypt, we go back into slavery. And what God wants us to do is be delivered from it. So in this church, they had people who were teaching things that would cause people to be in control and to seek fulfillment through their appetites being satisfied. And what God is ticked off of them at, what He wants them to do is repent and go fight that and fight it with truth. Now let me tell you, if you fight this kind of thing with truth, people won't like it. We don't have enough time for me to give my personal examples of this. But let me just tell you, they don't like it. And when they don't like it, they do not fight back with philosophy. They do not fight back by saying, let's sit down and reason about this. Why? They don't have truth on their side. So they don't use truth. What they use is criticism, maybe coercion. And the goal now is to destroy your credibility, to undermine you as a person so people won't listen to you. Which means what you have to do is elevate your game significantly by not responding to their attacks and continuing to speak the truth. Now can you see how you can become an overcomer in this circumstance? Because this is being a faithful witness. This is hard. It's hard to listen to the criticism of you and say, I don't matter. So now you're stepping aside from me being the center, from being the control person. And you say, I'm going to speak the truth because it's what you need to hear. Now you're not making it about yourself and you're not having your appetites fulfilled. So you're actually stepping away from both of these categories in order to be a faithful witness. And we have to put self to death to do this. You know, you can do this with your children. I remember having my kids slam the door and say, I hate you. I I, I knew this stuff well enough to know, okay, that's your choice. You can hate me all you want to, but you're still not going to get dessert. (laughs) And what they're doing is trying to enter into me, with me, a transactional situation where they're saying, I will do for you what you want, I will give you the love you des- and, and affirmation as a parent you desire if you will feed me Reese's peanut butter cups. <laughs> and what I'm doing, if I give in to that, is teaching them to be Balaam. I'm turning into Balaam when I do that. We have all kinds of people that know how to bribe us to get what they want. And our job is to learn how to say, you know, that's not good for you. This isn't about me. And it's not about my appetite. I, I prefer to be loved by people. I prefer warm fuzzies to cold pricklies. It makes me feel better when people say nice things about me. But that's not what I'm going to live life for. I'm going to live life to be a sword, to tell people the truth. Now, we saw in Ephesus our goal should be truth and love. And in fact, the loving thing to do to these people who had been captured with the false teaching of Balaam was to deliver deliver them. But doing so is not always a warm fuzzy thing to experience. Verse 15, thus you also have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which things I hate. Nobody knows what the Nicolaitans were. It means people destroyer. I have a hard time believing that they took a name for themselves. It means people destroyer. So I would guess that this is a pejorative term for somebody. And all I can tell you is, because it says thus you have, it must be connected somehow to this idea Balaam has of living a transactional life seeking satisfaction of your own appetites. And what God says about that, what we do know is, God hates it. Is hate always a bad thing? 
Obviously not. God hates things that destroy people. Is is that any surprise? Because He made us and He loves us, wouldn't He hate things that destroy us? So should we. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat. Now, each one of these seven letters has this same formula. If you have an ear, hear. Because remember, what he told us to do is read, hear, do. Real simple. Read, hear, do. Those things that were, that are, that are to come. Learn from the past, learn from the present, learn from the future. Same thing. Learn and do. Be a faithful witness. Be a faithful martyr. And overcoming is doing what Jesus did. When we get to Laodicea, Jesus will say, If you overcome as I overcame, I will give. Jesus did not overcome not being a Christian. Jesus did not overcome not asking Jesus into his heart. What Jesus did is he overcame temptation. He was tempted in all things, even as we are. He learned obedience even to death on the cross. So he's inviting us here. And you say, well, how do I know if I'm an overcomer or not? You don't. See, you can know that you're one of Jesus' children because he said, if you'll believe, you're my child. Overcomer, he says, make it to the finish line. And then God will decide. But He will decide for each one of us based on our circumstances because we all have different lives to live. To him who overcomes, I'll give some of the hidden manna to eat. Now, at the time of Balaam, Israel had a tabernacle. Inside the tabernacle was a holy of holies. In the holy of holies was an ark. In the ark was a jug. In the jug was manna. And this manna did not spoil at the end of the day. It was always there. And always hidden. Just think if Balaam, instead of advising the Moab leadership how to put a stumbling block in the way of Israel, had instead been invited by Jesus to walk right into the Holy of Holies, open up the ark, grab a piece of that uh, jug and reach in and have himself a big slop of manna. What would that have told all the children of Israel? What happened to them if they go into the Holy of Holies? Instant death. You were not allowed in there because that was the holy presence of God. And I think what God is saying here is, if you will speak truth for me in this world, if you'll put to death self in this world and elevate my word when you see problems, the world will reject you. The world will hate on you. They will criticize you. But I'm going to invite you in to my innermost presence and you and me we're going to have intimate fellowship no one else can experience. He goes on and he says, I will give him a white stone and on the stone a new name written which no one knows except him who receives it. Now apparently white stone was used for all sorts of things in the Greco-Roman world. They used it for voting. If you vote yes, you put a white stone. If you vote no, put a black stone. They used it for as as an admission ticket. You get to the place, instead of a ticket, you give them the white stone. But the one I think most perhaps opens a picture of what's going on here is if you were a special guest at an event and you had your white stone, if you were a special guest, sometime they would engrave your name on it. So I think perhaps what's being promised here is if you will speak my truth and be rejected by all the events of the world, I will invite you to my event. And you will not just have an invitation to come in. You will be a special guest. And the special guest level will be such that only you and I understand how special it is. In Ephesians 5, Jesus tells us we are the church. We are His bride. And we as men have a job to use truth, words, 
to wash our wives with those words so that they can elevate to be all they can be. And it promises that if we will do that, what we'll receive back is an awesome partner in life. And then it ends by saying this is a great mystery because he's really talking about Jesus and the church. What Jesus is doing here is telling us if we will use truth when the circumstances demand it, that what we're doing is becoming the bride He really wants. And we're going to have the same kind of intimacy with Him as a reward that only husbands and wives can understand the depth of. Behold, I'm coming soon, Jesus says. And my reward is in my hand. And He's going to give it to those who are overcomers. May we be the kind of witnesses and overcomers that Jesus wants us to be and use truth when the circumstances demand it. God, thank you for this word. Thank you for the truth. And we know, Lord, that without love, we're like a clanging gong. We also know that when truth is needed, it's our job to speak it. It's not easy to do, but it's the job you gave us to do. And Lord, I pray pray that we will be faithful in doing that job, not having you have to push us aside and do it yourself, but that we will speak in whatever circumstance it's needed. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Yellow Balloons podcast. If you want more information on adopting a God-centered perspective, visit our website at yellowballoons.net. And if you have any questions related to what you just heard, we would love to hear from you. Please email us at contact at yellowballoons.net. Thanks for listening.